Welcome back to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Ethan Ebersold, Dan Arbuckle here. We're wrapping up Boater Week in Bend, Oregon. We just sent Seth off down the road, and uh, Ethan and I are kind of winding down. I'm headed home tomorrow, and we've had an amazing, amazing week of paddling in Bend. Totally unplanned for me. I mean, I knew you guys were coming through Bend. It was kind of like, hey, we're going to be there. We're gonna, we have these projects. We'll probably stay here. And it just worked out that, well, once you came here, you never left. That's how it well, is. Well, yeah, I unhooked the trailer. As soon as I unhooked the trailer, I knew we were here to stay. Yeah, it was great. It was great having you. My house was empty with uh, just my eight-year-old as the rest of the family's traveling. And so we always like to start these podcasts where you've been paddling. This is a fun one now because you've been paddling the last seven days uh, all over this town and area, right? Yeah, it's been great, man. Everything from whitewater to flatwater to river runnings, uh, you know, playing in the surf wave. We we definitely hit it all. We we obviously were shooting for the YouTube channel. We we hopped in fishing kayaks, recreational sit-in sides. We paddled sea kayaks today. Whitewater boats, uh, whitewater canoes. Um, I don't know what I'm missing, but I feel like I've been in a different boat every single day, sometimes multiple boats a day. Well, you took a canoe out, like just a flatwater canoe to listen to the Tenacious D concert in oh, that's right. uh, downtown yeah. Bend. Uh, they came to town at the uh, amphitheater and the show sold out and lots of folks all take to the river and float total flotilla. Tell me about that. What was the scene? Yeah. And we, uh, we missed you out there. Um, well, you dropped me off, and basically, I, I had nothing. I was just me, and I walked into Tumlo Creek, and Kelly was just getting off work, our friend Kelly Whitman, and she's uh, she's like, hey, me and Parker are taking a canoe out. We got an extra spot you want in. So I was like, yeah, all right, I'll paddle. I'll paddle the stern. And um, yeah, grabbed a few drinks, hit the river, and then met up with our buddy Zeth, and then one other gentleman named Gabe. Um, he runs like a travel adventure company and he came out and joined us. We all rafted up uh, along with hundreds of other people on stand up paddle boards, kayaks, pretty much anything that floated. There was like giant floating mats and uh, Tenacious D, Jack Black, um, rocked the house. It was amazing. So you can't see the show from the water, but you're certainly, it's right up to the shore. They've actually now lined like Honey Bucket um cans along to try to kind of discourage some of that so you're not and they've also they did a big development on that amphitheater and like built up a berm inside of it so you can't really see in as well and it kind of pushes the sound so i wasn't down there to hear it but uh they've added kind of vip seating to that amphitheater it's just changed the venue's changed a little bit and i think it's a little bit quieter actually or at least that sound is being contained but probably sounded pretty good on the river still huh yeah i mean hey hey if somebody had a boom box playing music and we were all out there hanging out with drinks friends talking story with you know a hundred other paddlers uh it would have been a good time no matter what i heard a really funny thing my friend that was at a show that had like bare naked ladies like it was kind of same same venue but had kind of some bands of the history of past days playing and so the place wasn't totally full it was still nice enough, and they were outside, and there were a lot of people paddleboarding and kayaking. And the lead singer said something like, "You guys live in Bend, and you have enough money to afford a paddleboard, but you can't afford a ticket to a concert." Oh you, man! You know, they just kind of feeling burned. I, I thought about that, and I was like, "Yeah, that's a good point." And then at the same time, you know, Jack Black comes to town. Tenacious D place is totally sold out, so it's rational that there's people out in the water. So you know, the retort back to that is like, "Well, you know." If you're the act, people are going to pay to come into it and see it still. 
Yeah. Yeah, obviously he was a little jaded. I yeah. mean, people paddle out there all the time. Like, we were out there at Sunset three days this week doing something. There's a lot of so, people out there. But, yeah, there was definitely an extra because of the party. So you're calling this boater week because you were able to just kind of resume with your 20-year-old self. No, you were working. You were filming and telling <laughs> a story. But, you know, there was definitely neoprene hanging off of all the vehicles in the driveway. Oh, you got to kind of get back to that. Felt so good, man. Really nice to charge the batteries after you know, the last couple of podcasts. We talked about just this industry going through all sorts of stuff. We had a really cold spring economy, inflation, everything you hear in the news. And just to be able to focus back on boating this week while at this exact same time, the entire town is going off. It was switch on. Everybody had boats, floating toys, everything on. Their it was car, perfect right? weather in Bend. It was definitely like mid 80s every day, but like cooled off in the evening with a puffy jacket and yeah, I mean, it's been, well, the two years of pandemic, not really hanging out a whole bunch and crazy busy with work. You know, we've wrapped about that in a few of our podcasts. And then, uh, you know, this year, the flitch be, the switch being flipped and the sales turning off. I'm getting more cancellations than I'm getting orders lately. And then so to come here and just say like, hey, all we're going to do is we're going to play offense. We're going to catch up on videos. We're going to, you know, jump in a whole bunch of boats and you know, I always have projects and people sending me stuff and I, I have to re- not have to, but I, I like to review it and, you know, give them a good service. And this week was just all about catching up on those projects. I brought a trailer full of demo boats, um, you know, life jackets and things that I've been meaning to talk about. And the only goal this week was to get footage, to review, to try stuff out. And yeah, it was just kind of like old times, just getting to play in boats. Well, it's play to some extent, but let, how many people do you think that are buying a kayak outside of maybe like the Costco impulsive buy, but are actually like trying to get into the sport? What percentage go online and do what they call research, right? You see, I've been doing my research, you know, I've been, I've been shopping yeah. basically online or getting educated on some things, trying to, I think people try to like, you know, watch some YouTube videos, read some chat boards, get in some Facebook groups. What percentage, I mean, how high do you think that is that? Somebody has looked on the internet before walking into a store and just buying a boat. Oh, well, I mean, if nothing else, you've at least like, you know, looked and seen some pictures of stuff for sale. I mean, right. Facebook's presenting it to you. I would say 80%. I mean, maybe 20% of people are still like, Hey, let's, uh, I'm interested in this. Let's go to the kayak shop and check them out. With no no background whatsoever. Right. Right. I mean, but yeah, I, so I think it's even larger than that. And to some extent, you know, even texting friends or what do you have? What's the boat you have? You know, that kind of would, and they send them a link, that kind of thing. And so the work that you're doing while there's a little bit of a downturn is really important stuff to try to share what's new out there to as many people that might be doing that research and to just kind of share also the stoke, you know, which Mm -hmm. was easy to share this week because just having fun and painting a picture of what you can be doing out there. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole idea is just getting the things that, you know, we talk about and we sell, getting them on the water and trying to paint a clear picture for people that might be interested in purchasing of what they're getting. What's it good for? I mean, I in every video I did this week, I talked about who is this right for, whether it be PFDs, paddles, kayaks, um, who should be buying this? Who should probably avoid buying this? Um, Simple things like that. You know, sometimes you look at a I don't know. I, the the Mokin 10 comes to mind. It's it's a 10-foot fishing kayak that's super popular, probably our best seller. And I paddled it this weekend, and it was like 
really good for some things, but then there was certain things about it where I was like, man, a lot of people are buying this and not using it for its intended purpose because they don't know. They see that it's 10 foot. It's fairly lightweight. Fits in the bed of my truck. It uh, is stable. Okay, perfect. But realistically, um, comparatively to like the 12 and a half footer, it was much slower on the water, harder to retain current. You know, it just was, it, it's more of an itch and, you know, not necessarily like it's lightweight, but not super lightweight. So anyway, just as an example of like, that's what everyone uh, thinks they want. But if they would actually try maybe a couple of different sizes of the Mokin, they would probably go for the longer one. So you through your channel can kind of share that idea of like, oh yeah, that's good. That'll do it. But if you have a little extra bucks or, you know, you can find this, you might look at this cause it could be better. And that just gives that editorialized, like little kind of a shopping hint. A yeah, shopping exactly. Hint well, another good example is we were at the tenacious D concert and I hopped on a friend's paddleboard and he had one of those body glove, like Costco specials. And in my mind, I was just like, oh, those things are probably just really kind of cheesy. You know, they're, 400 bucks or something. And then I jumped on and I was like, you know, for 400 bucks, this is actually pretty good. It's was stiff. It worked well. You know, it's not a, uh, it's not like top of the line. It doesn't compare to maybe a, you know, a thousand dollar paddleboard, but for what it was, I thought it was pretty cool. So stuff like that, like people need to know, like, is what I'm buying any good? Is it just marketing? What? Well, today we got to see it at a really nice spot that I want to share if you search kayaking in Bend, this comes up quite often as a good place to go. So I don't think I'm giving anything away other than Hosmer Lake is one of the high alpine lakes up the Cascade Lakes Highway from Bend. You get to drive by Mount Bachelor Ski Area on your way up. It's uh, definitely a nice two-lane paved road the whole way. There's a lot of cyclists and people hiking. So you got to you know be careful and keep your eyes up, not just on the mountains, but on the roads. And you get to go by Sparks Lake, Elk Lake, and you end up taking the Elk Lake Loop Road, which is kind of a gravel road for a couple, maybe a mile or two, um, which goes around the backside of Elk Lake, and you actually see the boat ramp for Hosmer Lake. And when you go down there and you look, it's just a little pond, kind of, and you think, oh, that's not very fun. But toward the back of the pond is a little riverway through cattails and lily pads where you can actually see trout swimming underneath you. And then it goes back into a much larger lake that is spring-fed, glacier snow fed uh just the crystal green blue you know mountain water gorgeous that place was wild today man it was really really special place to go paddling fairly close to town and uh you just feel like you're in some sort of postcard because you have mount bachelor you have the sisters these white cat peaks and then this glacier blue water and man there was every different kind of paddle craft out there enjoying it that's today. what i was gonna say consequently well and the wise the wise folks that were like you know let's get this while the water's high right now i also noticed the wildflower scene was going crazy in bird life because of all the moisture that we have had so yeah. it's just really prime you're right we saw basically every version end result of people's research at the parking lot if you do go paddle there get there early because there's only about 20 to 25 parking spots and otherwise you pretty much can't be there unless you're willing to take a long walk yeah yeah we saw everything out there and and i think you and i were talking that it would be fun to do or i was talking it would be fun to have like a microphone walking around and asking people what you're paddling and then furthermore like why are you paddling it because there was inflatable paddle boards there was um 
box store Pelicans. There was sit on top, sit insides. There was Kevlar kayaks imported from Canada. I mean, there were so many different kinds of kayaks and paddle boards and you name it out there, like super old school, random kayaks to like brand new top of the line composite kayaks. There was canoes. And so I got me thinking and a lot of inflatables I was seeing too. And, and I was chatting with these folks and I was like, so what do you think of your, it was an aqua glide. I'm like, what do you think of your aqua glide? And, uh, you know, talking to them as, Oh, it's our maiden voyage, our first trip out. We're learning it. Um, you know, what did you think? I was asking like, what did you think about it? Would you buy it again? And then I was thinking like, this would be a really cool segment. And we agreed we're going to start doing it. I'm going to start taking voice memos on the phone. We'll drop them in in our next episode of just what you paddling. Like me talking to people about. Yeah, I'll do the same. What are they paddling? Why do they Why do they buy it? What convinced them to buy it? And are they happy with their investment? Well, we'll be able to do that in our travels. So you'll get a lot of different areas. So we'll be like, hey, we're in this parking lot. Let's go find out what you paddle. And then we can share it on this and just kind of hear people's thoughts and what they enjoy and, and uh, why they made the decisions they did. So what do you think when we saw so many boats and boards out there to me, as I looked around, there was so much of a priority on storage and putting it away and portability. Yeah. Ease of transportation at, was huge today. Ease of transportation at a complete cost of performance. Yep. And you know, we saw some larger sit on top inflatable kayaks uh, or sit on top paddle boards that people are using like kayaks with seats. We saw large inflatable IKs that it was kind of breezy mm-hmm. that they must, you know, and these were some older paddlers. Like it must I have know, been pushing them around, but you know, they look like they were having fun to some extent. And I guess they just turn around when it gets too much. So, yeah, no, you're a hundred percent right. There was a huge emphasis on portability. Everyone, not everyone. I got to watch that. But a good chunk of the people were using inflatable kayaks and inflatable stand-up paddleboards and just pumping them up there at the dock and launching off. But yeah, I saw that same couple with, the, I think they had just unwrapped that inflatable right at the car first time out. Okay. And um, and yeah, you know, with the wind picking up, you know, they weren't tracking, they weren't going fast. And both of us were thinking like, man, they could have a really long day if they don't uh, watch watch the wind. Yeah, um, I... I- you know, I see it and I just, I, I think, you know, that inflatable then has to be brought back. It's sandy. There was some dirt on the boat land. It was a gravel launch. So then you kind of have to clean it out before you put it away. So you can put it away. And for the winter months when you're not paddling, it's tucked away in a closet or in the corner of your garage. And I think that is a big appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, but gosh, it's like, I think you know, as a musician, would I buy a guitar because it's smaller and I can put it away more? It'll tuck away, right? Versus like that's a oh, great analogy. There's just no tone to this thing, you know. <laughs> now and like every time I, I mean, every paddle stroke is the same as every like guitar pick on a guitar string. Doesn't sound as good as doesn't feel as good, but they were out there all the same. Yeah, well, I just think know? it comes so down to good. education. I mean, that's. I've always said I want to have a say in that first time buyers buying decision. That's why I started the Headwaters channel. That was the motivation behind like the Dick Sporting Goods 300 and under paddles. Because you weren't selling them that boat, but you had a say in it. But I had a say in it. I wanted to talk to them. I wanted to say like, hey, it's great. It does this. It does that. It's this stable or that stable. But here's what you're missing out on. Uh, you know, here's what you're sacrificing. Because there is a sacrifice if A, you go cheap or you go inflatable or, you know, 
everything is a sacrifice. And if you know the sacrifices you're making and they're still okay with that because it's more important to be out there and you don't, you live in an apartment and you need an inflatable. I think it's fine. Uh, like you said, everyone was having a good time out there, but it's the fact that so many people don't know what they're missing out on and what they're missing out on is like the actual sport of paddle sports. Like, you know, everything that you and I love and have dedicated our lives to because of, you know, the joy of paddling and, you know, well, I think some of these photos and videos that Seth and you took help paint that picture and, you know, the glide, seeing the glide on the water and, and all of that is, you know, no different than if you see a picture or a video of someone's great car camping setup and you look at it and you're just like, I want to do that. And so, I hope so. you know, I think that it's, it's been pretty neat to be part of this week. And all the same, you know, some of those folks might have other boats, but they're on a long road trip. We did meet a friend that we knew there that had driven up from California at the boat ramp and she had a canoe on top, a really nice ultralight canoe. But, you know, I asked her about mileage with the canoe on top of her hybrid and it was lower than I thought. And I was like, yeah, because there's a canoe up there. So, you know, the portability thing also may make a lot of sense these days. People, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I use an inflatable stand up paddleboard pretty often just for that reason, just because I can have it in the car. Um, they are convenient to, you know, you throw a pump in a cigarette lighter, you get the rest of your stuff going. And then all of a sudden, boom, you have a paddle craft. Um, but, but I just can't imagine don't you that. think there's a little with paddle boards, a little less priority on the nuanced performance for a lot of folks. It's like, this is just yeah, fun in the sun. And 100%. so the inflatable really makes, I mean, I'm hearing the numbers of inflatables are crazy. These Here's days. the deal, man. It's way better than sitting in a tube. Right. That's what we, I mean, that's what, how I grew up in a child. Absolutely. In my childhood like was floating the river. Or store raft, you know. Totally. Yep. And so it's, it's far better experience than that. You can actually get around. Plus you're standing up. So it's a unique everything. perspective. Yep. Um, yeah. No, there's nothing wrong with it. I just hope that, I'm always hoping like more percentage of people see the beauty of what paddling could be and get exposed to it. Um, and I don't know. It just seems like some of that's. Going I think away. there's appeal though with that. Like you just said, there still is the raft inner tube appeal with with that paddleboard being inflatable. Is that it's soft? I can lay down on it. You know, it's yeah, kind of like swim. Like it, there's there's some sort of in the back of your mind going. It's just like my inner tube growing up, but it also can move and paddle. But I can still throw it around and bang it around and jump off it and fall on it and lay down on it. Yep, I it's guess. a platform for fun. You can bring the dog, bring a kid. It's 19 pounds. 20 pounds it's huge right now the inflatable paddleboard thing I, you know and i i thought more folks would maybe start that route and then buy hard boards but i think they're like nope that was good that's how in debt that's how invested into this i am so yeah yeah uh, i thought the same thing in fact i mean i put my money where my mouth is with when uh i put together my first gray duck container to come out west i was like all right i want you know some inflatables because we'll probably sell them but really, I'm going to be heavily focused on demos, getting people on these things. And once people try a hardboard, they're not going to want the inflatables. And I've been wrong. Like I've sold, I mean, I've sold a fair amount of hardboards. And I, and I really do feel like if we do a demo day and you get people on a few boards and you can get them to get over the transportation or help them through that process of figuring out how they're going to transport it, it the performance is significantly better. But I have sold way more inflatables than I have hardboards since I started with Grey Duck. Huh. Yeah. Cause they can put it away. <laughs> they can put it away. Totally. And I, I just also think there's, I mean, if I was driving around Ben and I knew nothing about paddle sports or same with mountain bikes, I better I, get one of those. Cause yeah, you're like, seeing them everywhere. everywhere. Like, yeah. Oh, I should get a full suspension bike. Everyone's got a full suspension. I don't know. 
you know, even though a hardtail might totally work for me, but you see him every that. It's like the standard. Well, speaking of not knowing what we were doing, what, what, you know, not knowing necessarily having the best perspective on things and having to learn along the way, the hard way, we got to do a little bit of that in whitewater canoes, uh, <laughs> this week, <laughs> yeah. uh, or at least kind of feeling like the newbie again. Right. Or, you know, totally. Have- we had so much fun. Um, Ethan has a brand new North, uh, North star, a Right. Yep. Whitewater canoe. Yeah, beautiful IXP. Yeah, made layup. out of a heavy-duty composite layup, which is kind of a unique thing because most whitewater canoes are made out of some sort of plastic, thermal-formed, or uh, rotomolded. And this is like a Kevlar multi-layered canoe and pretty darn tough, but just light and fast and quick. It's a sharp knife that you're normally not used to using in those kind of conditions because of its nature of how it was built. And then I had picked up a great deal on a, probably a canoe that I had my hands on 15 years ago it was a Bell Prodigy uh, X, which is perfectly sized for you. Yeah, it was, and it was great. Outfitted, and so we went down the bend, uh, Whitewater uh, Park. So there's four waves, right? Yeah, there's so well. You should start by saying there's a yeah. beginner option and then the expert option. Right. And I would say I am not an expert. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm a pretty expert paddler, but uh, when it comes to canoes and especially whitewater canoes i've got very little experience uh it all translates but you know we ran that first drop and i actually was surprised i made it through pretty clean and i was like all right sweet and i eddy out and then i look back and i see you and you ran it and then didn't quite catch the eddy and had the longest static brace i was like is he gonna make it no yes oh mate no there he goes. He's swimming. I, I kind of had all this confidence, like, oh, I'll just brace myself up in that eddy. But I just stayed on the seam, like, I, on its side. And I just kind of stayed there for a while and to the point where I was like, you know what? I'll just tip and roll, try to, you know, roll it up because I felt like, oh, I can do that. And then missed the roll. And I was like, I got to come out of here before that next wave comes. So the Whitewater Park, which, you know, the wave section where you have surfers playing, um, there's a section off to river left that has seven pool drops, six pool drops for the inner tubers to go through. And then this section, it, it's really neat because the local shop here in Ben Tumbleo Kayak and Canoe is has a dock right maybe 100 feet before you enter the expert section there or the, uh, you know, the easier passage section. So we yeah, to kind of run the big wave first, it would, you know, if we started at the bottom of the expert section there's a smaller wave and that's where we ended up playing more but you had to hit the big stuff first kind of had to pay your dues so we swam by the surfers. yeah so ethan swam first and then there's a surf wave with all the like the cool guys who are just ripping it up and here comes a couple of like goobers and solo canoes and i swim the second wave like side surf window shade and i didn't even try to roll i was like so out of my element I can roll a canoe in flat water, but I didn't even go for a setup. I was just like, yeah, I want out. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and then so we, we both had our swims. We got done. And then we spent the rest of the afternoon like, all right, we're just going to ferry. We're going to learn these things. And dude, I felt so out of my element and so like a beginner. And uh, I think I had four, probably four or five good swims before I kind of like got my, my sea legs under me. Well, you're on your, you know, it's like. Getting on an airplane, they tell you now you have to kneel, <laughs> you know, because it's you were so used to sitting, <laughs> and yeah. ca- you know, or especially you that I think you spend more time in kayaks these days. Um, and then one paddle and getting your ability to reach across your body and do cross strokes and stuff. It just takes 
like anything you do, you have to put the time in. And we hadn't been in these boats in a while because no. I certainly had the Bell Prodigy when, but then Bell uh, went away and all those boats went away and I didn't have one for a while. So I, it was fun. It was a blast though. It like that progression is what is the enjoyment, whether it's music or sport. And we definitely in two hours had a sunny progression out in the water. Yep. I absolutely left it all out there, but I finally got on that wave carved a few turns, like stuffed the bow on the wave and, uh, and peeled off. And it was like, Oh, it was, it was the best moment. It was probably the highlight of my week was getting in there in that canoe and surfing that wave. Well, I hope that as you guys share the story of this thing, people can see all the different disciplines of it and not, you know, and just be like, Oh, that look, that side of it looks fun. And that side of it looks fun. And, and, uh, just messing around in boats. I have kind of a, selfish shed full of canoes and kayaks and people are always like gosh that's crazy you know there's a bunch of boats but i'm like this is the cost of like one used harley motorcycle like mm-hmm. having a whole fleet of different boats for different moods and flavors of water and so forth i still think it's like you know yeah it requires space for sure but as a cost it's less than a lot of people's you know atv or whatever else yeah it's totally relative and it's not everyone's going to be a canoe and kayak collector, but if you enjoy right. paddle sports like we do, you know, and, and I've always kind of been of the mindset, if I enjoy one form of paddling, I probably will enjoy another. So I'll try it. So, you know, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, you. I don't have a beautiful shed for them all, but I've got sea kayaks, whitewater kayaks, paddle boards, you know, wreck kayaks, fishing kayaks, and they all have a special place and, you know. Well, love, love every one of them. You ended up taking over my shed and compound and filmed a bunch. <laughs> that was super fun. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I was the best thing about being at your house. And probably one of the reasons we didn't leave is you kind of have your shed set up like a studio set. Like, so if the lighting's right and the sun is right, it's like this beautiful gravel level stage. And yeah, we used it for a bunch of filming. We filmed all our walkthroughs here. We did a materials video about uh, kayak manufacturing processes and uh it was great man so materials you took it on i've had it on my list of things to do and a lot of other vendors have put blogs out and they try to hit it and the magazines try to cover the materials and yeah you know it's such a big subject you know three neat paragraphs you know for the magazines so what's your take let's hear it let's go on it materials oh boy okay Uh, so we we i think we're it's going to be about a 15 minute video that just scratches the surface. Yeah, you scratch no pu- the surface. No pun intended. Minutes. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> because when we talk about materials, uh, you know, I can say rotomolded polyethylene. And so I did three boats. Polyethylene, rotomolded polyethylene, thermoformed ABS plastic, and then composite, which my particular composite boat was a carbon Kevlar hole with the fiberglass deck. But even if we were just to break it down to polyethylene kayaks, you've got Injection molded polyethylene, thermoformed polyethylene, rotomolded polyethylene. Blow molded. Blow molded polyethylene. So there's all these different, you know, subcategories. So how deep do you want to go? Like, where does this story start? And then composites, for God's sakes. I mean, you could talk about fiberglass. There's so many different, like honeycombs, Kevlars, uh, like your IXP boat has 17 different layers of material. So it's like, you know, you could probably get a college degree or like a semester in college just on composite materials. So... We try to just break it down to the most basic terms like rotomolded, good for impact, softer plastic, not as good for uh, abrasion, uh, you know, thermoform, better for abrasion and glance and blow impacts, and it's going to give you better performance, lighter weight, 
but you don't if you're wearing a helmet you shouldn't be in this because it doesn't take the impacts loaded impact yeah yeah loaded impacts right you don't want to come down on a rock or get have current push you up against a, a bridge pile it's going to crack so you know things like that um and then talking about composites and i i kind of focus more on the lightweight performance aspect of composites because i feel like if a customer is learning about composites and they're wanting to know like broad brush strokes, why would I spend $4,000 on a kayak? Typically it's because it's going to be lighter. It's going to be faster. It's going to be better performing than the polyethylene or thermoform counterpart. Right. Well, I think it's cool that you came about it with the materials thing from the elements that are most important as decision-making for customers, paddlers is durability, weight, you know, so you're not getting into tensile, you know, you're not you're getting all technical jargon, but you're just saying this is lighter, but, and then the big one is the durability has categories, which is what you just called out. Instead of saying like, what's the toughest boat? It's well, what kind of abuse? There's sun, there's gla like you just said, glancing yep. loaded. And so I think we can all clearly understand weight. So you're like lightweight and you know, it's pretty, that's pretty simple. It's either light or it's heavy, but then there's the all too often simplified well this bouncing hard plastics what they use in white water so it's the most durable well but not for sun and scratching and maybe thermoform not for boat ramps yeah not for boat ramps so you know you see people grind the bottom of a poly boat just in one drag through a pavement oh, boat dude, ramp i have repaired more welded more keels in my life than i've ever repaired eddie line somebody dra somebody dragging a boat tired oh, at the yeah. end of the day so you have those two elements of it and i think that's great that you just focus in on that. Um, it, it is a daunting one. And I always, you always get a little bit worried when you oh. start seeing, you know, people just wait for shops. the comment section on yeah. that one. I, and I told Seth, I'm like, you know, this, there's going to be people that want to chime in, but hopefully it's just because people are watching it. And then the comment section blows up and then YouTube pushes it out anyways. <laughs> and you know, my goal is to always get better and get more information and then keep these videos, you know, up to date and getting better. And ultimately, I would love to have you. I would love to interview you in this conversation because uh, you just have such a depth of experience with you know, all three of those different materials and blow molded. One of the neatest composite experiments I ever had was I had just purchased a canoe, a trailer load of 15 composite canoes from Ted Bell and North Star Canoes and was driving them from Butte, I'm sorry, Billings, Montana, back west to bend and the wind started picking up and i may it was getting close to livingston which is near bozeman and i remember pulling over to rest area and going you know i should just get in this rest area and hide out it's getting blowing i have 15 very light canoes on a single axle open trailer and i just was like i'm in a rest area right now out in the middle of nowhere i happened to the town's called timber montana because i ended up spending some time there <laughs> um and I was like, if I can just get to Bozeman, I can post up during the windiest, you know, for a few days in Bozeman, there's lots to do. There's boating, there's hiking, there's shops that I work with, friends that I know. So I pushed on and I was listening to a book on tape as we came, you know, as I drove down into timber and all of a sudden I felt the jerk on the trailer and I looked behind me in my mirror and the uh, canoe trailer had flipped on its side. Oh, man. And I was going 60, you know, five miles an hour. And I remember being like, yep. And I had enough wherewithal. I reached over to my tape cassette to pause the book on tape I was listening to before pulling over to you not lose my spot. It was just kind of like, oh, this is what I'm doing now. Better pause the book. <laughs> yep. I pulled over. And as I'm pulling, 
over to the uh, shoulder, one of the mile marker signs just slams the trailer and hits the boats also. So you have a metal pole hitting the bow of the boat. Oh. But the cool thing about it, other than you know $27,000 worth of canoes slamming into the pavement at, the, at one time, <laughs> is that I happen to have an ultralight Kevlar boat, a Kevlar fiberglass co-lamination, and a Kevlar carbon fiber co-lamination all on the same side that took the impact. (laughs) So you got to see how does an ultralight canoe, just Kevlar and foam, behave, and then how does a glass uh, Kevlar, and then how's the carbon. And it was very interesting. The carbon Kevlar didn't – it was so stiff that it did end up fracturing more. The fiberglass Kevlar one had more creases in it with fractures but didn't come, you know, open holes as much. And the ultralight crinkle, like fold marks and crinkle. Oh, really? Yep. And like just because it was flexing, it would crinkle around stiffer areas like a rib uh-huh. where one of the foam ribs was and it would crinkle around it. Interestingly enough, we then took all the I, – I was pulled over. It was windy. I, there was a little ditch, and I had to get all the canoes off of that trailer. I'm on the side of the shoulder. I'm like, I need to unload this trailer. And I ended up getting some help from a gentleman that was a welder up near Bozeman. And he's like, I, I can help you. I have a dump trailer coming back through. I do dump runs, basically metal scrap runs. And we'll throw the rest of them in my metal scrap trailer. Oh, man. So, yeah. But, so not only did I have seen several of the canoes get trashed, but then he comes by and it's still windy. And his, him and his buddies start throwing the canoes in the metal dumpster trailer. Oh my God. And I'm doing the same. I start grabbing my straps. I'm like, at least we won't. And before I could get my straps on them, the cam locks or the uh, ratchet straps (laughs) came out (laughs) and started like tightening the whole thing down. Like you were trying to strap down like a a bunch of logs in different directions. And brand new, brand new carbon, beautiful canoes. Yeah. And that put, you know, crease marks in a lot of them because that kind of torsional, you know, stress. Oh, I'm so sorry. We got them all to his welding welding yard and I ended up hanging out in Bozeman for a couple of days and he ended up welding my trailer, fixed it. I unwrapped every boat, kind of analyzed them. I ended up selling a couple on site. Like people scared, like, I know what you got there. It's broken. I'll take one of those off your hand. I was like, get them away from me. (laughs) And um, I was, this happened on a Saturday at midday and I was back on the road Sunday night at midnight. Wow, that's yeah. incredible. They yeah. were they had yeah, to weld you found my, some good people. Yeah, I did. I, I since uh, John Lamb was his name, and I ended up they they ended up calling the university professor of welding to help me on a Sunday. He's like he get they got into it a little bit too deep, but they knew this guy, and he came by and at like ten o'clock he's welding my trailer, and then I left at like Sunday night at eleven p.m. and drove all the way back to Bend, which was like thirteen to fourteen hours. Oh my stopping. gosh! So it was just like tail between my leg, get home, barn fever. Oh, style. I bet I've so, been there. Where you're just like, I need off this trip. Point of it is, is the all composites aren't the same, right? Yeah. And so that was you know, so you can't say all and all thermoform aren't the same, and all polyethylene aren't the same either. Totally. So there's not only what's the strength of this whole thing, but then there's a whole other conversation of who's doing it well. Yeah, there's a whole spectrum on each one of those. Like, I can think of different companies that there's a there's a spectrum. Uh, but how do you get into that? How do you get into the minutia without, like, losing people's interest? Yeah, um, that's like a podcast debate, you know? Yeah, maybe that's the deal. Yeah, we have a podcast debate, and uh, maybe we rank our different brands that we, uh, we work with. Of course, we'd probably find ourselves getting in trouble with that one. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, 
overall though most of the manufacturers that are out there doing stuff are standing behind it for the most part yeah um, no i'm t- more when i think of like crappy polyethylene boats i think of the stuff coming out of china the pay me you know ten thousand dollars i'll slap your name on the side of a kayak it's crazy i want to talk about that because i've always felt that the biggest fear of there's several brands you can even brand your own stuff there's a lot of paddleboard companies that are doing just that right time putting, putting their own brand on it but you have to carry a manufacturer's um, liability insurance. If somebody were to get hurt on your product through failure or negligence, most manufacturers in the U.S. have you know five million dollar policies. Particularly if you sell to some bigger accounts, these paddle boards that you see pop up in your algorithm, like that are small and no name, a lot of those don't have that. And you, you know, it's just they're not running with the same set. Particularly the stuff just getting imported and shipped to your house with some no name, right? Kayak brand, like you mm-hmm. said, coming out of. A lot of it's coming out of um, just a few factories over in China, right? There's no way that they're carrying that because you can't sue them anyhow. <laughs> you know, right. There's nowhere to yeah, sue. there's a lot of direct stuff that you can just buy right from China. It ships right to your door now. And then how do you get it serviced if there's a problem? Oh, man, they used to come to my shop all the time. I was the worst. They would bring in these uh, the Hoodoo kayaks, or I'm trying to think of some other ones, uh, that they basically just knocked off natives. And people would come in like, well, this is a native shop. I'm going to bring in this drive that's probably the same factory that builds a native drive, but it wasn't, it was just a complete knockoff. None of our tools fit it right. Like there was, you know, everything was different tolerances and clearances. And then if we were able to get inside the drive, like the parts in them were just shredded. There's no way to get in touch with the manufacturer to get the right parts. And, uh, I don't know, maybe with Hoodoo there is nowadays, but back when we were working with them, it was just a nightmare. And I mean, I would have to tell these customers like, Hey, I know you bought this $1,500 pedal drive because you thought it was a great deal and this is your third trip out, but I can't even fix it for you. Like you have to get in touch with the manufacturer, which is basically, you know, one guy that's importing them and selling them through a website. I kind of feel that way with like electric bikes and electric scooters because oh, my kid is shopping for my 10 year old and he just like shows me things he finds online. He's like, it's only $250. I'm like, dude, it's just the wild west. Anybody can have a electric business and again no liability that's scary stuff your kid working around battery you know it's yeah like bike shops are a lot of bike shops refuse to bring in people's um electric bikes if they're like a, a no-name brand because the lithium could explode. because bike shops have been catching on fire left and right right yeah there needs to be a hard i think it i think there's a lot of costs that a domestic kayak supplier or distributor has to deal with and i think that should be a big pushback uh, against it um Last we were talking kind of about the calendar and we went into some of the trade shows like you were going to go to I- ICAST in Florida and big gear show in Salt Lake, uh, Salt Lake City or up in the mountains above Salt Lake City. And it's such an interesting thing because we want a little bit of this podcast just to talk about the industry and the challenge of the industry kind of all gathering in one place. It was out the outdoor retailer where kayaks were kind of just trying to follow along the coattails of jackets and Columbia and, you know, mm-hmm. companies like that and just be off in their little side thinking that most sporting goods shops would go there. And then, well, we better go look at the kayaks too, but it wasn't a great fit. The timing of the event really coincided with apparel manufacturing that had to be months earlier than the boating shops and manufacturers really were ready to even unveil the stuff. So then ICAST became a big deal, of course, cause all the growth and fishing, right? You've gone to several of those shows, right? Yeah. I went to, um, I think three different ICASs, and then I was supposed to go again this year. Everything was all set and planned out. The house was booked, um, but then I looked at plane tickets from the West Coast, and it was like eighteen hundred dollars round trip, 
And uh, my boss and I both talked about it and agreed that hey, maybe it makes more sense if we just do a trip out here. Uh, you know, he comes out here later in the season. Um, because, man, as much as I love being at ICAST and, you know, rubbing elbows with industry folks and checking out the new products, uh, traveling and just renting cars, I mean, it's gotten so expensive right now. Car rental's insane. And I think a lot of people did their one flying trip or are doing it right now. I know several people are like, oh, we're flying to this and then cutting it and tightening it back. And the only thing that'll fix it is people saying no to travel like that. The only thing, you know, the demand is yeah. slack back is you saying, nope, I can't do that type of type of event. I think also with a slow spring, you have a lot of dealers and manufacturers being like, you know, we just got to kind of buckle down and do this season. A lot of pro like <laughs> versus going to all the shows. We'll see what happens this yeah, year. Yeah, The shows are, yeah. I mean, I, I'm really curious to see what happens with the show. I know the big gear show is coming up. I've heard of some manufacturers that have either pulled out or just decided altogether that they're not going. It's a really hard thing because as a retailer, it's super cool to go to and see all these different things meet other industry people like I've made some great friends and some great connections at these events um, but as a promoter it's tough to do and especially if not everyone's going you know the manufacturers aren't sure if they're going the retailers aren't sure if they should go it's like this weird chicken or an egg who's going to commit first yeah yeah usually I think the last and it's if there's not a critical mass of every vendor there, then it's kind of like, well, I'm just going to, you know, see a couple, but not everything I need to see. Yeah. And that's a little bit of what's happening right now. If you were to do it, would you do it like a, uh, how, how would you do it? Would you do it like a big national show? You think it's better to do it as regional? Like, okay, here's the players on the West coast. Let's all get together and do a show that dealers can come to and see the stuff. Well, I think a lot of those shows are very important to the manufacturers who are in their factories mostly and don't necessarily get out and travel as much. It's a really great opportunity for them to spend three days and maybe see 20 to 40 retailers. And they look at it like, well, if I was to get in the car or fly in car, I can't see 40 retailers from around the entire West. And I haven't seen any of these folks who have been at the factory and I'm going to go to this thing and see them. And it's going to be great. And so I see the value to the vendor, uh, and I think you're right. West coast dealers just aren't necessarily flying across to the East coast to do a show. And so it probably needs to move around one year here, one year there, one year somewhere else, like three locations moving in each location. And maybe you only go once every, you know, you send one person to the one that's further away or something like that. That model has kind of worked to some extent um, for us as a rep. And I, you know, my personal take is, I kind of know my territory. I know my dealers. I see them a lot I'm on the road or Nick is seeing them. We're staying in touch. We're talking. And so when I go to those, I kind of sometimes feel like I'm delivering my customers to my vendors, which I think is important because those conversations can all happen with all of us together. But, you know, as far as do I need it to go write the business and present the product? No, I'm showing it in person oftentimes like twice more before preseason deadlines is so I often kind of think it's a little dance to kind of, but it's good because maybe a dealer might say something to a, a manufacturer, the president of a company, and that makes change. And, you know, they might not hear it yeah. from a rep and want to make that same change. So I always enjoy it as a retailer showing up to these sort of things and, and shaking, you know, the person's hand, the owner of the company or the sales manager or whatever, and giving like direct feedback. And I found a lot of times, you know, once people met me face to face and kind of like heard what I was about, 
that I could have sort of a, an ear um, or some, some sort of a, like direct impact on the future products. Like I felt like, I, especially when the shop was really cranking and Headwaters was really involved with kayak fishing as it was exploding. And I was able to like say, hey, here's the boots on the ground. We're talking to hundreds and hundreds of kayak anglers. Here's what we're hearing. Here's what you need to change. Or here's what you need to come out with to serve the needs. And like we had the fingers on the pole. So it was really cool to then get the ear of a, you know, Luther Cyphers from Yak Attack or um, Ed know. Vader from Branches. Like he was yeah. always very receptive to that. And so he was, always enjoyed going to the, his things. Um, yeah, that is a good one. Could you do that by video and Zoom in 15 minutes instead? No? no, 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 because I wouldn't have necessarily talked to Ed Vader. Had I not had this opportunity, like I wouldn't call it. He wouldn't even take. He probably wouldn't even take a meeting with me. You know what I mean? It, Maybe right. nowadays, but you know, what if I'm just some retailer coming up? Whereas when you're at the show, you're in the booth. You're standing there. You gotta looking. talk to me. You gotta talk to me. Yeah, <laughs> hey, buddy, I'm here. <laughs> here I am. Yeah, I got questions. And you're here because you want to talk to us. <laughs> and so, yeah. and so here I am. Uh, yeah, something is always something always good comes out of every show I've ever been to for on a lot of different levels, relationships, mm -hmm. you know, some sort of business deal, some sort of fun stuff that happened. Great memories. Well, we humans are meant to connect, yeah. you know? So you got to have it. I think it's important. You know, I, I agree with you as a rep that it's good to have your, like your little tub, your networking. Don't your let them out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, I have, to, I know I'm guilty of it, but it's just like, I don't necessarily need to deliver yeah, why a am really I close take... customer of mine to a giant show where there's other people trying to sell. And I know yeah. they'd never be on the street all otherwise. Right. Right. That's yeah. Why I would I take from. Mike at the ledge from Klamath Falls and then take him to a, or have him go to a show to Ask see me him to go and to then show. he's going to get sold you know, whatever, whatever the other brand might they be. They never would go to Klamath Falls. Right, exactly. That's my problem. I, I feel like it's like they should have to pay for the right to talk <laughs> to that guy. Generally. You know, I, I pay to drive down, you know. You know so, what it's kind of like to me is, yeah, you, remember, you used to get those paddling magazines and they would be like a buyer's guide. Yeah. And it would just be all this product that you and I never wanted a customer to get their hands on that, right? And never see it. Yeah, exactly. It's like some South African company that put 20 of their sit on tops that aren't even available, or maybe they brought one container in and then they paid to promote them in this magazine. And then people are all interested like, well, I'm really looking for the new soul 14 foot, you know, whatever. And you're like, yeah, I mean, it was in the top 10 sit on tops for 2019, but I've never seen one in my life. Right. And there's regional parts of that too. Right. So the one magazine shows a bunch of Eastern, you know, Eastern U.S. or North or Canadian, Eastern Canadian, Canadian yep. you know, like this stuff just doesn't make it out here, you know? Totally. Um, yeah. Like we saw a Clipper canoe today. I'm like, wow, I wonder what the story of that to get all the way out here or uh, like Swift, you know, you never see Swift. They make great products, but you just don't see them out West because of the logistics to actually get I have out a here. lot of my canoe customers because I really enjoy like, you know, nice canoes and they get thrown in the same North Star does with the family of other Eastern Hornbeck and all sorts of uh, placid boat works and different things. And so folks are like, well, I'm looking at this or that, you know, they're, I'm looking at your North star canoes, which I, I happen to have in my shed right here, or I'm looking at this boat on New York. And, and I, my first question is like, well, how are you, how are you going to get it? You know, the shipping business is the kayak business, right? Particularly now. And so there are regional parts of that. Um, point being, I think that's what, 
you and I spend a lot of time, you know, what you did this week is you're doing that marketing push and getting the message out. The majority of your spring was driving and moving boats around, right? Shipping boats and yep. connecting with dealers. Having the stuff and then getting into my dealer's hands, making sure they have the tools they need to be successful. Whereas, yeah, exactly. An East Coast company, just all they could do is put boats on a truck and ship it out. Yeah. And it's expensive right now. It is very expensive to give a, a it's hopefully coming down, but you know, trucks going up and down the West coast, $6,000 that used to be 2,500. Yep. I know it's so crazy. Yep. And hard to get. I'd heard something in, uh, that somebody told me that in California, I don't know that semis aren't going to be, um, uh, allowed to be before a certain year. Did you hear that? Uh, I've heard some stuff like that. Um, yeah, no, there's like clean air vehicle laws in that California. they're going to have to be newer semis in yeah. California only. Yeah. But you guys have some of the largest point ports in the country, if not the world. So you kind of need as many trucks as you can get. Yeah, yeah I don't know. What do they do? Sell them all in Nevada? Um, yeah, I, do, I don't know. I don't know the laws well enough. If My dad happens, would be the guy to talk to about that. That would be great. We, we need to put a bullet point in that. All right, well... You know, this was just a wrap up and we have an event demo tomorrow, right? So we should probably, uh, I was just looking at the time. Yeah. We're getting close to, uh, to midnight out here on the West coast and we have to be, well, we told them we'd be there around eight o'clock in the yeah, morning 8, for a demo. Yep. So let's hit it, man. Thank you so much for making the time and opening up your house. It's been incredible. we got to make this a yearly thing. Boater week in Bend, Oregon. For Boater week in Bend, Oregon signing off. Thank you. All right. Take care guys.